1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. Tonight, Chronicles of Kings, we're talking about Jeroboam. And the title of tonight's message is Convenient Religion. Convenient Religion. I think there's a day coming in America, and maybe it's already here, when uh, radical American Christians, the real deal, the holy remnant of God, when the radical American Christian is serving God for them is going to get hard. It's going to be a hard day to serve the Lord in the culture. And it actually is for our teenagers today uh, to serve the Lord with wholeheartedness, uh, with everything they got. It's very hard to be a radical American teenager uh, for the Lord. But there's going to be also on the same side of this coin, on one side, there's coming a very soon day, I believe, where it's going to be very hard to be a uh, radical Christian in America. But it's also, for many, going to be very, very easy. Why do I mean by that? It's because they're going to rewrite what it means to be a Christian. And actually, we've already have done that in many cases. But for some, it's going to be very hard to be a Christian. And for some, it's going to be very easy. In fact, it will have never been easier to be a Christian in America uh, in these coming days. So what happens when serving God gets hard but our religion gets convenient. That's what we're talking about tonight. What happens when serving God gets hard, but your religion gets convenient? Let's talk about Jeroboam tonight. Jeroboam's rebellion is kind of this first part. So there's a guy named Jeroboam, and he works for the King Solomon. Solomon's the greatest, wisest king in Israel. You know, after David, David's a man after God's own heart. David has Solomon. Solomon becomes wise and powerful, and he enters in peace, and he builds the temple and all kinds of great things. But Solomon, in his uh, pride, in a sense, ends up compromising his faith and having a thousand wives, and God uh, basically says he's going to take the kingdom from Solomon. Well, one guy that works for Solomon was uh, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was the son of a widow woman, all right? And he was a servant in Solomon's house uh, for the king of, you know, this, the, he worked for Solomon, right? And he was known as a valiant warrior and a really great guy. And so Solomon handpicked Jeroboam to be over all the forced labor of Israel over the house of Joseph. So one of the houses of Joseph, one of the children of Joseph, was Ephraim. So he's from Ephraim. He's over his own people. And this forced labor was the group of Israelites who were mandated by the king to build the temple, build the king's house, the king's wife's house, and rebuild the Milo. It's this thing about uh, rebuilding the walls of Israel around what David couldn't finish. But this was a controversial issue because Solomon had done this at the expense of his people over heavy taxes. His heart had kind of fallen away from God. Solomon had increased the taxes. They started something controversial. Never before had Israel ever used forced labor of its own citizens. And Jeroboam is appointed over this forced labor. Okay, you with me so far? Bad thing, but Jeroboam's a great guy. He's done it. He's a lowly guy. But there's something in Jeroboam's heart. And he longs for more. And we don't know the details of it all, but... Ultimately, because of Solomon's sin, a prophet comes to Jeroboam. The prophet's name is Ahijah. And Jeroboam gets this prophecy from this prophet. And the prophet comes with a new robe and he tears it into uh, pieces and he takes ten of the pieces and he gives it to Jeroboam and says, Because of Solomon's sin, the Lord is going to give you these ten tribes. And in 
1 Kings chapter 11, verse 37, it says, You shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. So here's this guy. He gets a prophecy. He's a pretty lead dude in the kingdom of Israel under Solomon, and he's become a valiant warrior. He's kind of a popular dude, and he's over all the forced labor. And something rises up within him after he gets this prophecy, and he tries to revolt. The Bible says that he actually rebelled against his master, Solomon. And for this, Solomon tries to kill him, and he runs and he flees to Egypt until the day that Solomon's died. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is now waiting to be king. Okay, that's the setting of where we are, okay? Uh, The interesting thing about all of this is, here's a lowly guy, born of a widow, raised as a servant in the house of the king, set on a pedestal over a very privileged position, gets a prophecy from the Lord. But instead of waiting on God like David did with Saul, he began to try to advance his own way in the plan of God. Don't you know that we get in trouble sometimes when we step a little bit ahead of God? God had a plan for Jeroboam, but Jeroboam had a little faster track to get there. And so here we are, Jeroboam is king. Let's look here. So here we are, I'm just going to skip uh, right before this, this passage in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. Let me paraphrase it and get us to that moment. So Jeroboam was a lowly guy, but he had rebellion in his heart. He didn't wait for God to install him as king, and he ends up finding himself cast out. In, uh, but then we find now, he's in Egypt, he hears that Solomon has died, he, and then he gets this message, Solomon's dead, so come on back in. And then we find ourselves at a place called Shechem. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, Shechem. Not Shechem, Shechem. That's a southern term. That's for something else, right? And he, okay, so they're finding their place at this town called Shechem. And here, they're waiting to install Solomon's son, Rehoboam, as king. And they're hoping for tax reform. And the people, they call out to Jeroboam, Jeroboam, hey, you are over our forced labor. Why don't you come to this assembly as the king is about to be installed, the new king? We're hoping that uh, we can do some social reform, some tax reform. But if you don't listen, hey, buddy, get ready. We're going to revolt. We're going to be behind you. Jeroboam shows up there at the king's inauguration that people ask for, hey, king, let's do some shifting things. And Rehoboam and a young prideful youth that he was, a young man that he was, rose up against the people and said, hey, if you think my father was bad, wait till you see me. If you think my father was tough, wait till you see me. And they say, okay, fine, we're done with you and the line of David. Jeroboam's our man. Let's bolt. They bolt back to the, the place where they come from. Rehoboam flees back to Jerusalem. And all the tribes rally around Jeroboam. They kill the man who replaced Jeroboam over the forced labor. And now here we find ten tribes in the north, now called Israel, Two tribes in the south, now called Judah. That is Judah and Benjamin. So we've got two countries now. Ten tribes make up one country, Israel in the north. Two tribes make up one country, Judah in the south. And this is now the the split kingdom. One king in the north is named Jeroboam with a J. One king in the south now, the son of Solomon, is named Rehoboam with an R. He's king over Judah. That's your little Bible history lesson to get you where we are today. Okay, so all that to say, get into our text and find out what's going on here. Jeroboam is now king of a kingdom that God said he would be. And the Bible says, look in verse 25, Jeroboam rebuilt Penuel, 
and he rebuilt Shechem. Why is that important? One verse. Why is it important? Penuel is the place where Jacob wrestled with God, and he would say, I met God face to face. I saw God face to face. I saw that, that ladder, that staircase come down, and I met God. Shechem is the place where Abraham first entered into the land of Canaan and made an altar to God. And it's also the place where Joshua 24, all the tribes came back together. Joshua brought everyone together and renewed the covenant with God. So here we have Penuel, who is remembering the presence of God. And over here you have Shechem, who's remembering the covenant, the word of God, and the the uniting of the kingdom under the word of God. And Here we have Jeroboam rebuilding them both. But let me tell you, sometimes we can do a lot of outward things in Christianity to make it look like we know what we're doing. But in fact, it's only a facade. Because here we have a man rebuilding the place of the presence of God. And here we have a man rebuilding the place of the united word of God. But at the same time, there would be no bringing of the presence of God in the house of Israel. And there would be no bringing of the word of God in the presence of Israel, because this man, while he started lowly, he began to worship power. And whatever you worship, that's what you fear the loss of. Whatever you worship, that's what you fear the loss of. And the thing he feared the loss of most in his life was power. Verse 25, verse Kings, verse 26, verse Kings, chapter 12. Here we go. Jeroboam said in his heart, here we go. Remember, he just rebuilt the place of the presence of God. He just rebuilt the place of the word of God, the covenant, where where uh, the kingdom came together with Joshua. But here we have a man. He says, Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up and offer sacrifice to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted, not God, but man, and made two golden calves. And he said to them, It is too much for you people to go to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. So he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before one as far as Dan. And he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month of the fifteenth day of the month, like a feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar himself. And thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the very calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel of the priests of the high places which he'd made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised of his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. My Lord, how much can one sin and can a man do in a couple of weeks? Right? Look what he, look at, there are nine uh, for sure sins I can pull out of here. One, in his pride and his fear, he didn't trust God to establish his kingdom. God already said I was going to do this. Sometimes God tells us he's going to do something. We're supposed to what? Wait. And he didn't. He, he, in his fear, he didn't trust God to do it. Number two, he didn't trust in counsel of God, but in the counsel of man. Three, he prevented people from worshiping God in a way that God ordained. He did a whole other thing. And he even didn't, he prevented them from going to the southern kingdom where the temple was, where God said, this is the very place where men are going to call upon me. This is where my priesthood is. This is where my mercy seat is. This is where my altar is. This is where you're supposed to worship me. He prevented people from going down. That was never in what God consulted with him about. 
He made graven images of God against the Ten Commandments, basically repeating what had happened in the Exodus story. Five, he made altars on mountains. If it wasn't enough just to make two golden calves, he made altars on high hills. And number six, he disregarded God's election of priests for his own. He wouldn't even let the Levites serve for fear that they would teach them to go back to the things of God in Judah. And so he said, no, Levites, you can't serve in my kingdom. I'm going to elect my own priest, which was a no-no, because one, God is the one who chose the Levites himself. All right? God elects his ministers, not boards, not rich people, not powerful families and churches, not even church bodies. God is the one who calls and equips people to send his gospel. All right? And so he disregarded God's election. Number seven, he set up competing festivals. Ironically, the festival that he had was a month off of when Judah was celebrating. And you know what they were celebrating? The temple of, or the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is when Israel would go out in their backyards and basically put up a bamboo tent with a uh, uh, palm branch roof. And they would remember what it was like to trust God with nothing in the wilderness. So he makes a competing festival against a festival that was all about trusting God. Now think about this. And number eight, he made his own rituals. The Bible is clear that he made it all up from scratch. Made it all up from nothing. And then here we go, nine. He made sacrifices himself. Never was the king allowed into the temple to make sacrifice. Never was the king able to make sacrifices. But he himself elected the priests, set the place, set the rituals, set the time, and he himself made the sacrifices. It's as if what we see in America today, that let's start something new to entice people to come to church. Let's do something new that's never been done before. Let's try these programs. Let's try, try, try preaching this way. Let's try these worship songs. Let's try this secular music. I've been to a church before where they were playing secular music in the parking lot to make people who are visiting their church feel more comfortable to come in. That same church had football going on in the bathroom so men would not miss the game during church. True story. Let's entice them. Let's do things different. Let's do things new to reach people. Oh, this is the failure of the American church today, what you see happening all across the globe, all across America. Let's do something new. Let's write it our own way. Instead, he should have been like David. David was a king after uh, a man after God's own heart, and the reason this is why. If you ever heard the person, someone ever say, David was a man after God's own heart, this is why God said, he's after mine own heart. Because David was after God's heart. He was a king who God said, if I put this little young little boy as king, he'll never forget he was nothing, and I'm the one who made him into something. He'll always point people to me. And David did. David never let the kingship, only once he failed, but he never let it go to his head. He always was a servant first and a king second. And he always remembered this was God's people and he was just a temporary, he was the under king and God's the true king. But Jeroboam began to make himself bigger than God. And he made worship convenient. It was this man-made religion. He says in 1 Kings 12, 20, it's too long of a journey for you to go to Jerusalem to worship. Here, Israel, here's some gods who brought you out of Egypt. So he wasn't saying these are separate gods. He's saying, no, worship God, but worship Him in this way. 
Don't, don't worry about going so far. It's a big travel. It's a journey. It's dangerous. You don't want to go over there. Worship God over here this way. He enticed them with this man-made religion. There's two new easy ways to worship God. There's, there is another way to God. You know, and it's just like Satan to make men question the word of God. Look in the Garden of Eden. Surely God doesn't mean if you eat that, you'll die. Even to what he does in Jesus. And he says, you know, if you just bow down to me, you know, surely if you're hungry, you can turn these, these stones into bread. And over and over again, even the devil today and many churches around America, oh, you know, that's pretty Christian. That's, yeah, it's Christian, right? That's an idea. That's a good idea. That's a good sermon. That's a good illustration. But well, Satan is just coming in. Let's just, maybe that is, that's okay. Is that all right? But here's the new thing, the big thing. While it was one thing for the man to create all this stuff, what bothered me the most as I related to this passage, there was no protest in Israel. They just went with it. A whole country, ten tribes, went with it. Why? Because rebellion was already in their hearts. When they showed up at Shechem that day, a place where it was supposed to be unity in the house of God, they were at Shechem to inaugurate the rightful king. In their hearts, they had already brought in Jeroboam, the rebellious leader. And they already had a plan B. If God's way doesn't work out, my way is going to come into play. If I don't get what I want right now, then this is the path I choose. How many people ever heard that before? I'm going to put this on to God, and if I don't see God do it my way, I already got my way lined up. If He doesn't do what I say, then here's what we have. And 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 says, Rebellion is, is the sin of what? Witchcraft. So what was already in their hearts? Idolatry was already in their hearts. Before they ever committed a sin, before they ever followed this man into idolatry, the reason so many people today are following false pastors is because rebellion, i.e. witchcraft, is already in their hearts. And there was no salvation in this this man-made convenient worship. It was just similar enough to the right religion, though, but it was so far from the truth. And it was cheaper than the other religion, too. It was cheaper than the true religion of Israel. Why? Because in Israel there was this huge golden temple with many millions and billions of dollars spent by Solomon himself, crafted and and written exactly how God would want it to be built. And on the other hand, while you have this big golden temple, all you have over here in the north are two little golden calves. That's all they could afford because it's cheap religion. It's a knockoff of the real thing. You know, and holiness is expensive. Holiness comes with a great price. And there's only one person who is qualified to pay that price for you and me, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other way to heaven but through Him, and He's the only one who can pay for the holiness required to enter into the presence of God. And if there's a church that's not promoting by that way that one man who died on the cross for us, who paid the ultimate price on the cross, if there's any other way they're promoting, then there is no salvation for them. This place was hypocrisy at the highest, And most importantly, though, there was no mercy seat in Israel, and there was no high priest in Israel. There was no Jesus, the high priest, and there was no mercy seat, the cross of Christ. And unfortunately today, because so many people find a similarity in the church they attend of Christianity, they think they're worshiping the right way. 
Many people today unknowingly are worshiping in a false way because their worship is convenient and their worship is cheap. The Bible talks about trading the truth for a lie. And the people didn't even notice. That's what bothers me, I think, the most today about thinking about the American church. How many people are attending many large churches across America, not even aware the Christianity they're listening to and talking about and sharing on Facebook is convenient and cheap. I listened to a popular TV preacher, Facebook preacher. It bothered, bothered me for weeks because all of my friends were sharing this, pop, I'm not going to mention a name, popular pastor on Facebook over and over and over again. But the more I listened, the more I listened, the more I listened, it was all about building up your dreams, building God's going to do something for you. And if God, you know, the, and it was all, it was so Christian, so close. And, I, you know, he may even be saved, this guy. But there was no sacrifice. There was no cross. There was no burden for the lost. There was no give everything to the poor. There was no sell all you have. There was no death to self. It was all about that man you want, that dream you're going to have, that mountaintop experience. God's going to move your mountain if you only believe in yourself, if you only believe God's plans for you. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. And that stuff sells. And it sounds just enough like Christianity with a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of good contemporary music, a little good, good illustrations, and a little good props, and a whole team to make it all look beautiful, and the right yelling at the right moments, and the right dress, and the right stage presence, the right Facebook likes, and all this together, the right, right, uh, right website and marketing agents, all of it together looks beautiful, but it's cheap and it's convenient. And for this cheap and convenient man-made religion, God brought judgment on Jeroboam and his house. God warned him through a prophet. He still did not repent, and God judged him severely so much that he would kill off everyone in his home. None of them would even be buried in the ground. That's what God thinks about hypocrisy, people who keep people from worshiping him. Here's the ultimate sin that he was charged with. God said to him through this prophet, that he was not like King David who kept the commandments and followed God with it all his heart. He did more evil than anyone else by making false God. But here's his sin. He casts God behind his back. He said, God, I'm passing up the plans you had for me. I'm creating my own position, my own way. And God, I'm just leaving you behind in the dust. How many times does that happen in the world today? God, I'm just putting you back here. And when I'm, maybe when I need you, God, I'll call back out for you. But right now, God, I'm always fine. Is our religion cheap and is our religion convenient? I look at the world today and I see that many are promoting, like we said this morning, many paths to the same God. But I also think there's this compromise, this cheap and convenient Christianity in America. It's this watered-down American churchianity. It says, follow me, I'll show you an easier way to be a Christian. It's a Christianity with a click of a button. It's a once-a-month commitment. It's a give so you don't feel guilty. And there's no need to fast or pray or serve the poor because we've got trained staff for that. That's the Christianity I see modeled in America so very much. But there was one group of people, I said that nobody revolted, but that was just to lead you there. There was one group of people that had enough is enough, and the Bible says this, and I'm going to close. That there was Levites that left by the masses with them and their families when he said, no, you cannot serve here. 
It was the Levites that took their families and crossed back over the border to Judah because they recognized what was going on, that holiness is defined by God and His character and His Word. And so Levites fled Jeroboam's kingdom back to Jerusalem. I think our challenge for us tonight is to say this from this lesson. Church, whatever we see going on in the world today, if it's a cheap and convenient religion not based on the holiness that is required through Jesus Christ, and it's not based on the cross and the sacrificial death and to give all and follow Him and sell out for Jesus Christ, if it is not about repentance and faith, through grace alone, if it is not based on the holy, infallible Word of God, the entirety of God's Word, it is a cheap knockoff. It is, not, it is a convenient religion, and we are called to leave like a Levite back to the things of God. I think I want, I, my prayer for us is to see a culture change in our churches where 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this, for Paul, seeing the, seeing the future that held, was held for the church, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the verse we know so well, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What does he say? And from such people turn away. Turn away. I think if we stick to ministering to God like a Levite, we're going to say, God, I see what's going on in this world today, that God, you have called me to be a minister of your gospel. Every single person in here is a Levite today in the house of God under Jesus Christ. We've all been called by name. We've all been given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've all been given his word, his commission. We're all ministers in the gospel. And we are called to, in this last days, recognize what is going on in the culture of today of cheap and convenient Christianity and say, God, we're coming out, we're turning away, we're coming back to you, back to your presence, back to Penuel. God, where we encountered your presence. God, back to Shechem. Lord, where we all came together under one banner, the Word of God, and there was a uniting of the church of Jesus Christ. The remnant of God is coming back together. And so while Jeroboam rebuilt Penuel, but it was all facade, and there was no God in it, and while Jeroboam rebuilt Shechem, and it was all facade, and there was no God in it, the Levites would come back out and build the things that God had really called them to build. Let's get back to the presence of God. Let's get back to the Word of God because that's who we are in this last days. We want to be the people who've come out from the culture of convenient and cheap and say, God, we're rebuilding the presence of God. We're rebuilding the Word of God and the true church is uniting together. And that's my prayer in Gina, Louisiana. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. That's our prayer. This is what I want us to pray. This is what we're praying for tonight. Jeroboam started out lowly. God is called the lowliest of the lowlies, the poor. Blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The meek, those are the people who inherit the earth. It is the lowly. That's where he started out. He started out as a son of a widow woman, as a servant in the king's house. That's where we want to stay. God, I want to stay right there serving the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to be a part of a Levite Group. I want to be a part of a church who's a group of Levites that says, God, we're rebuilding the place of the presence of God. We're rebuilding the place of the Word of God, the covenant of God. And that we would say, God, we're going to intercede for a culture. And tonight I want us to pray, number one, God, let the presence of God reign in our churches. Number two, God, let the Word of God reign in our churches.
And number three, God, help us to stay lowly. Help us to stay lowly. Servants, just like David, who put God's heart first, who sought to seek after God's heart.